Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Furious Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. And I'm Jim. And we are back in your ear holes for yet another nerd-based adventure. Jim, how you doing today, buddy? You know, I'm real good. It's gotten, uh, again, I'm falling back on weather small talk, but uh, the, the weather is so unpredictable in this neck of the woods. It's about 90 out there right now, so uh, summer has definitely arrived to the Midwest. But, you know, it's been a good weekend. I did a little bit of traveling, saw some friends, um, so I'm, I'm having a great day. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I got practice later today after uh, we get done with the proceedings here, and I got a brand new song we're going to be uh, developing. It's uh, lyrically completed, lyrically uh, structured. Hopefully it all fits when I sing it with the real band, and I'm excited to break it out. It's very, very fast. Like Apparently my band doesn't like it when I breathe. So <laughs> Breathing is overrated, especially for singers, so I think you should Evidently. be Evidently. But, yeah, I'm super excited about that. Uh, work has been pretty steady all week, so, I mean, I'm kind of worn out, but uh, it is what it is. You do what you do, so. That's what the weekends uh, look, are for. Relaxing and podcasts. And recharging and drinking. For sure. <laughs> but, as usual, if y'all want to find us on the good old interwebs there's several ways you can do that you can find us on our facebook page which is facebook.com forward slash feel your fandom you can also hit us up in our gmail which is feel your fandom at gmail.com and the backup gmail if you want to hit us up there is fyf talent booking at gmail.com and that's where you send show ideas guest ideas especially if said guest is yourself and pie recipes which we have had a real drought of so if you've got a good pie recipe you know forward it because uh, it's a little warm outside to bake right now but uh you know if you send us a pie recipe we'll not only make it but we'll make it and then we'll talk about it on the show so do that and our primary streaming site is going to be feelyourfandom.buzzsprout.com and of course as always you can find us in your favorite podcast platform like iHeartRadio, Spotify, Player FM, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or any place fine podcasts are available. That's where we'll be. Right. And uh, so now how, I've been sending out random emails again trying to get more guests booked on the show. And uh, Jim, I told you about this, but uh, have you ever watched uh, this? There's a YouTube channel called Viva La Dirt League. And, Viva uh, La Dirt do, League. They do uh, spoofs based on... Uh, popular multiplayer online games like uh, PUBG and, and Tarkov and they've got their own little thing where they're, they've got a show called Epic NPC Man and uh, they're a, a New Zealander group and uh, they're, they're absolutely phenomenally funny and so I just randomly sent an email to them the other day going hey uh, you know I watch all your shit you want to be on the show and uh, so if you guys out there uh, would like to see that Start pestering them. They've got a contact me link on their on their website. Go to their website and click on the contact me page and just go, hey, you should get on that Fuel Your Fandom podcast. That'd be great. Yeah, those yeah. guys are pretty cool. They'll do right by you. Jump on yeah, there and uh, do some self-promo. And, and and whether or not they come on the show or not, it's their videos are fucking hilarious. I, I find them super funny. Yeah, I've definitely uh, seen the epic, uh, what is it, uh... Epic NPC Man. Epic NPC Man. You know those. I've definitely seen those, and uh, they are absolutely hilarious. They they definitely tweak all of the the tropes in online gaming that definitely need tweaking. So um, I, I I do watch and enjoy those a lot. Absolutely, they're they're hilarious, and 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 I guess I wanted to start with a little bit of hilarity, talk about stuff that's funny because, well, the topic we got in mind for today is just a little bit. Uh, a little darker than normal. A little bit more. Uh, oh, Lord. A little bit. 
but uh, we kind of wanted to talk about uh, celebrities who have passed that uh, are meaningful and impactful and and why their deaths have, have hit so hard. Now, we talked about uh, this phobia that I have on Facebook of scrolling through Facebook and seeing a celebrity or a beloved celebrity on Facebook. And every time I see their picture, it's like, oh, God, did they die? It's it, it's a real epidemic anymore. And uh, it seems like we're at the age where we just keep losing uh, the people that we, the, the celebrities, they just kind of, they pass and, and, and their deaths have affected us and, and for whatever reason. And we just kind of wanted to discuss, you know, what it is that causes these uh, connections and, and, and the ones that we've lost that have, have affected us to the greatest toward, uh, extent. And I know it's kind of a dark subject matter, but I feel like it's kind of important. I think it is too, yeah, because we've all had those celebrities that we appreciate, whose work we really like and who we idolize, and then, you know, when they're not around to create new work, it just, uh, it's it's a real loss, and so these are these are important things to acknowledge. It's not, a, you know, we try to keep things light and funny and, and entertaining around here, but, uh, you know, once in a while you just got to acknowledge the uh, the darker parts, because there's, there's definitely a subtle beauty there. Right, and, and, and it's like we always say, is there's no good without bad, there's no, you know... Uh, happy without sad and no yin without yang no peanut butter without jelly no batman without joker <laughs> exactly and so uh i guess i want to kind of start it off with uh uh jim i, I want to kind of toss it to you did you have a celebrity that uh has recently passed that kind of affected you or well i don't know about recently uh, i'm sure we'll get to that in a second but the, the number one person that i thought about when we suggested this episode at the risk of uh you know, retreading uh, uh, ground that we already have have really worked pretty well. Um, the previous episode that we talked about uh, Queen and Aerosmith, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Freddie Mercury, uh, I'm still not over it. Um, I, I just think it was so unfortunate. Uh, his, his passing was so untimely. It was 1991, <clears throat> and that guy still had so much more road to run. He had so many more songs to write. I would have loved to have seen what he would have done, because like we talked about on that episode, Queen had incredible versatility. And all new and they styles of music. So well with age. Yeah, and all new styles of music came into being in the earlier part of the '90s. Um, you know, you and I are both of a certain age. We're both Gen Xers, so that whole grunge movement and then the post-grunge movement. I would have loved to have seen what he would have done with that, um, and I think it would have been pretty incredible. But you know, at the same time, I mean, it's I, there's an, another layer of un- unfortunateness to it because. There were so many anti-HIV drugs that came along within the next couple of years. Freddie Mercury right. died in 1991. November and, 24th, 1991, at 45 yeah, years old. Yeah. Uh, and if he had made it to 1995 or 1996, um, there was AZT. There were some PrEP drugs. There were some really early HIV medications that could have really helped him, and he might still be around now. I mean, you know, AIDS is no longer a death sentence. It's still not something you want, obviously, and it's still a very, very tragic thing that's happening, um, just because it's not something that's been in the popular culture as prominently like, like it was in the 80s when we lost Rock Hudson, when we lost, you know, Freddie Mercury not long after that. We lost all these really prominent celebrities and, and, and a lot of non-prominent people, a lot of people that were just folks in other people's lives. Um, you know, it was just a really, really bad time. And it still is. I mean, there's obviously, um, you know, the AIDS is still an epidemic and it still takes a lot of people too early. Uh, but had Freddie just made it a couple of years longer, he, he would have been, it's had some real viable treatment options available. 
and he might still be around. So the unfairness of it definitely punches me in the gut. But, you know, the body of work and the legacy that guy left, I mean, obviously, it, it stands head and shoulders above a lot of other... It's just... I, I can't even formulate the words when I think about that guy, but his death, probably of any celebrity that's ever passed on, has, has affected me the most. Just because well, of all the, all the potential. Yeah. All the potential. The pot- lo- wasted and lost potential, yeah, for sure. But, I and, mean, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's definitely something that, I don't know, it, it, it's, like you said, it's, it's the, all the, the what-ifs, the right. what-could-have-beens, and, and I think that's a lot of what's going to be a common recurring thread with today's conversation, just because uh, a lot of these celebrities have passed before their time. Now, we have a bunch of celebrities who have passed who are in their 80s and their 90s, and they're kind of getting up there, and, and, and their deaths are a little more understandable, no less tragic, of course. Sure. Uh, but a little bit more understandable. You're able to go, oh, well, maybe they, they've had a good long life. They had a good run. You can't uh, necessarily got... say they were cut down too soon. Right. But those that were cut down in, in their prime, it, it almost seems all the more tragic just because, like you said, that wasted potential, that that uh, All the work that they didn't get to do. extinguished, yeah. Uh, and, and I get Freddie. I really do. Yeah. I mean, I would really have loved to see... Uh, the body of work that would have come from a bit more time, you know? Yeah. And, and I kind of have the same thing, and it's to a lesser extent, obviously, and, and it's for the same reason, unfortunately, it was uh, Easy e Yes. Uh, e- Easy e passed of HIV as well, AIDS and mm-hmm. HIV complications, and and uh, uh, he was kind of in the, in, the, in the prime of his career, too. And it's for the same reason. It's like, no look, doubt. I mean, what could he have accomplished with... With the beef behind him, what could they have accomplished, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it just kind of hits. and so Yeah, I was a big NWA fan back in the day because, I mean, I was a white suburban kid, and it really was street poetry, and it allowed me a glimpse into a life that I didn't know anything about and was sympathetic to understand. And, I mean, some of that, you know, early gangster rap stuff was extremely vital and extremely vibrant and just downright street poetry i mean it was absolute absolute brilliance and easy was one of the uh one of the most vibrant uh one of the most vital mcs of that entire era and if you listen back to like some of his solo stuff i had his uh uh, easy does it solo record back in the day and i listened to a lot of nwa back when they were first you know come out back when i was in high school Mm -hmm. and um yeah, I mean that guy. That guy had chops for days. They sort of, you know, if you watched the uh, the Straight Outta Compton movie, they, they they sort of played on the fact that maybe he wasn't a natural born MC. But you know, who deserves more respect? Somebody who has just natural ability, or somebody who works really hard to excel at what they do? And that guy was one of the best that ever lived. I agree. And and, and while we're on the subject, I, I wasn't necessarily going to bring them up now, but it seems to be a fitting place to put it. Uh, uh, we also have. Uh, uh, Tupac Shakur and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Christopher Wallace, uh, the notorious B.I.G. Yeah, and they were both brought down um, violently, uh, regrettably, way too early. And and I think uh, I think Biggie was twenty four, and I want to say Pac was right around the same age, twenty four, twenty five. Yeah, and, it's a goddamn uh, shame, both of them. And you want to talk street poetry, like, and I didn't really have. Uh, I mean, I listened to both of them growing up, but I never really had a big appreciation of them. I guess a big enough uh, a sampling of their body of work until my, more recently now when I've been sitting down and, and just kind of working my way through their catalog and and really digging through, like we talked about with the Queen and, and Aerosmith thing, getting past the uh, 
the singles and moving on to the b-sides and getting into the yeah. real nitty-gritty of the everyday work you know for sure and uh it, it gives you a bit more of a, a deeper uh connection with the artists and uh, i watched uh, the documentary uh i've got a story to tell i think is what it was called a netflix documentary about big and uh you know i've watched all the movies that i can find about the life and times even if they're fictionalized like you said with nwa or with uh the movies so about, the all eyes on me movie all eyes on me was really really good i watched the notorious yeah. mm-hmm. uh, movie recently and then just it gives you like you said it gives you a window into a culture that you may not have uh necessarily i don't want to say a right to be there but uh, definitely no insight into outside of uh, what you heard and what you read so uh, yeah and really fasc- ultimately it's fascinating I've always thought that that is the goal of any art, be it sculpture or painting or music or even like dance or architecture. It's an attempt on the part of the artist to take something that's intangible, which is emotion, feeling, mindset, and create something tangible out of it. And then in so doing, sort of convey what you're feeling to a wider audience. And if they get what you were trying to convey, great. If they get their own thing out of it, then that's also great. Um, But yeah, I mean, I always have seen art as a tangible expression of emotion. And if you kind of view it that way, then listening to those guys talk about their experiences and, and what their lives were like and and just getting an insight into their world, um, you know, that's something that I think that they were trying to communicate. And to be able to, to hear that and listen to that and have an appreciation for it, I think that's probably what they were going for. Yeah, and, and it was really uh, difficult for me because, like I said, digging through some of the B-sides now on... Uh uh, Notorious B.I.G.'s part, he had uh, just, I mean, he died like the week or a week or two before the release of his sophomore album. Mm-hmm. And he, there's a lot of tracks on that album that would suggest, like, knowledge of his impending demise. And, and it's really kind of sad to listen to it knowing that it came out, like, after yeah, but uh, there's a track specifically on uh, the third album, his posthumous album that was released in '99, called uh, "Born Again." Uh, there's a track on there uh, where Valletta Wallace, his mother, uh, comes on and talks about her son, and one of the things that she expresses in this track is that she's just talking about how uh, if she could dis dissuade Chris from being a rapper. She'd do it. It's like she says, I know that he's touched all of your lives. I know that his music is a place in all of your lives. But I think if I could have dissuaded him from going into rap, that's what killed him. Yeah. And, and that's tragic to hear because, yeah, his music did touch an entire generation of people. It's mm-hmm. still touching people to this day. And, you know, who knows? Maybe she's right. Maybe she's wrong. It's hard to say. Um, it's just difficult. Well, it's and that classic we'll goes back know. to, is it better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all? If we could either live in a world where we never had Biggie Smalls or live in a world where we had just enough of him so that we could get a sense of his immense talent, um, obviously a man's life hangs in the balance. And if that was the defining factor, then I think the people that love him and, and anybody with a soul would say, yeah, we'd sacrifice the music to have a person's life back. But I think we we're all fortunate that during the all too brief burning of that candle we actually got a couple of really fucking landmark amazing hip-hop albums out of him um i would definitely trade them to have the guy's life back even if he never became a rapper and we never knew who he was but 
at least we got that much during the time that he had. And if that's what killed him, then that is definitely tragic. I mean, his mom obviously would know better than we would. And, and I suppose there is an argument to be made that if he'd never entered that world... And, of course, you can, like, get into conspiracy theories and start throwing around, like, oh, Suge Knight did it. You can kind of truck with all of the uh, the why did he, quote-unquote, deserve to die? Who did he cross in that world, East Coast, West Coast, whatever? Um, but I think, to a certain extent, she's right. Had he not been a rapper, he probably would still be alive today. But, I mean, burn bright and fade away, is, is that better? There's, there's no end of argument you could have on that, but... but Still, I, I think, think, and again, I think that's going to be a recurring topic with today's with today's yeah. conversation, anyways, because a lot of these people that we're going to discuss did indeed burn bright and burn hard, and then mm-hmm. went went away, and and it, it's I think maybe that's it's all the more tragic for that because we got to see the talent, we got to see the the gift that they were giving the world, and maybe we didn't appreciate it enough when it was here, and and only in retrospect can we understand the genius that they brought to it, but. You know, maybe not. So, And on the subject of incredible soul, funk, R&B, hip-hop musicians that were cut down in their prime and left behind an incredible body of work, it's incumbent upon us to talk about Prince. Um, Absolutely. I don't know if I have, you know, as, even though I have musicians that maybe were a bigger part of my musical upbringing, I don't know that I, I could possibly have more respect for anybody than I have for Prince. Because, I mean, if you go back and even look at when he was barely out of his teens and doing stuff on American Bandstand with Dick Clark way back in the early, early 80s, it was pretty apparent to anybody and should have been apparent to anybody with any kind of ear at all that this guy was going to be and was an absolute powerhouse of contemporary music. Uh, Prince Mm -hmm. being, of course, a multi-instrumentalist. He doesn't get enough credit for that. He's an incredible singer and an amazing landmark songwriter. screaming guitar player. And an incredible bass player and an amazing drum. I mean, that guy, you know, Kevin Smith, the uh, the filmmaker that we both love, at one point did a, uh, released a, a DVD where he did a Q&A where he talked about Prince was dimly aware of Kevin Smith as being a filmmaker because Kevin Smith shot Mallrats in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, which is very close to Chanhassen, Minnesota, which is where Paisley Park was and is. And so Prince uh, contacted Kevin Smith to do a, a documentary on him, just like a shoot a week in the life of Prince. And to hear Kevin Smith tell it in this Q&A, he said, wait, me, the fucking Mallrats guy? I did Jersey Girl, for fuck's sake. Why do you want me? But Prince was insistent. So Kevin Smith came out and shot like a week in the life of Prince. And, you know, to hear Kevin Smith tell it, they put an NDA in front of him, which got taken away and he never signed it so he can speak freely about all this stuff. And he says all this in this this Q&A that he released. Um, But he said he was kind of just contracted to follow Prince around for a week and and shoot everything he did. And he said that Prince would go into the studio at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday. And he would have a song idea in his head. And he had an on-call engineer that was just there because he couldn't be in two places at once to run the boards and fix the levels. And Prince would go into the studio, which was set up and mic'd live, ready to go at all times. He would have something in his head. He would lay down a drum track. He'd hop behind the drum kit and lay down this pounding, fucking incredible rhythm... And then he'd get a thumbs up from the boards. You got that? Yeah. Then he'd walk over to the room and pick up the bass. And he would just, you know, have him play back the drums, the engineer, play back the drums and the headphones. And he would play the bass part to the drum part he just laid down. Layer in a couple of layers of guitars. And then go into the vocal booth and knock it out. And this would be a matter of hours. And Prince would handle every single station on this recording, except for running the engineering. And then Kevin Smith is filming all this. And at the end of it, Kevin Smith said, that is a fucking banger. That is a screamingly good song, one of the best I've ever heard. That's got to be on your next album. And Prince shrugged and said, no, I'll just put it in the vault. 
And Prince's posthumous oh vault God. has become such a bone of contention among Prince's fans. Kevin Smith said, and it's actually, I remember watching a, a short like documentary, I think on 60 Minutes of 2020 or something, where it is an actual fucking vault. It looks like a bank vault with a big bulwark thing on the outside of it that you can swivel around like a big ship's wheel. And in there, he's got 50 years worth of albums of things he's never released. He never released during his lifetime. He's got movies. He's got full production with makeup and lighting and soundstage and backup dancers and musicians, music videos that he just shot and put in the vault. And at one point, Kevin Smith said, so you're just banking music for the apocalypse here? And Prince apparently just said, well, when, when uh, inspiration strikes, I just, I, it's, it's, I have to, it's like a writer. I have to get it down. And then someday I'll release it. Maybe I won't. Maybe someday I'll die and my, my heirs or, or executors will put it out. I'm not really sure, but I'm just putting it all away. And then at the end of this shoot, Kevin Smith said he took the footage and he put that in the vault too. So there are <laughs> decades worth of music hanging out in Prince's vault that depending on whoever is the executor of his estate, may or may not ever see the light of day, but that guy has got decades worth of music that's just sitting gathering dust that we may never get to hear. And I don't envy the folks who are handling that, whose job it is to comb through it all and decide what, if anything, should be put out and in what form. Because a lot of it was just apparently loose tracks. How do you group that together? Did you do it by error? Did you do it by style? Did he want whole albums to come out? Did he want people to just release singles? That much he didn't really leave behind. He never told anybody what he wanted to do with all that music or all those music videos or all of that just creative material. But there it sits. And of course Prince fans just clamor for the release of it and the folks whose job it is to comb through it all are trying to do the best they can. They've let a couple things out in drips and drabs. There was an album that got released of... Prince's original demos for songs he sold to other people, like songs he sold to like Sheila E. or the Bangles or uh, I think Sinead O'Connor, songs that other people made famous that were songs that he wrote, his versions of those songs that he demoed were released. And I think there's been one other album that's come out in maybe the last year, year, year and a half, two years, that is of some original material. But, you know, anybody who's ever gotten a look in that vault says there is just decades worth of stuff just sitting there now, waiting. You, you say you wouldn't envy them. I kind of do. I'd love to sit down and just... <laughs> Just oh, just be a fly on the wall during those sessions. It's like just to listen to that because we live in an era of music right now, where yeah. you don't necessarily have to release an album. Uh, you can right. go on like Vivo, or you can go on like like I said, Vivo or YouTube. You can release a a, a video here or there without sure. an accompanying L LP. You can go on Spotify and just release singles. You know. Last thing it's, I remember from that, uh, that that thing that Kevin Smith was talking about, he said Prince lives in a world all his own of just Prince's creativity. Prince doesn't understand why Prince can't get a camel at 2 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday in the middle of January in Minnesota if Prince wants a camel for his video shoot. Uh, so maybe <laughs> that footage is in his day own too. reality. He did. Yeah, he did. And he um, could get away with it because he was Prince. And he was. Uh, for good or for bad, for, you know, and, and we're not necessarily here to talk today about uh, the things that took these people away from us. I mean, we could definitely focus on the negative, the, you know, the gunplay or the or the drugs or the, you know, the diseases and, and shit that took these these bright flaming talents away from us. But uh, I'd rather focus on the legacy and the body of work that sure. kind of, you know, endears them to us in the first place. So. What we're going to do is we're going to take a real short break. When we come back, we're going to continue on our list of uh, celebrity passings that have affected us. Stick around.
All right, welcome back. Uh, we are talking about celebrity passings that have uh, kind of had a deep impact, emotional impact on us for whatever reason, the legacy and the body of the work of these uh, flaming bright specks of, of talent at Stardust that uh, that they were. And Jim, you had uh, another one you wanted to discuss? Yeah, I think when you talk about Prince, you almost have to pivot and also talk about David Bowie. Uh, they both died in 2016. Really, really bad year for um, incredibly talented alien sex gods. We lost Bowie and Prince the same year. Bowie first and then Prince later in the year. Um, right, it seemed so surreal. Yeah, and it's one of those things where uh, that meme that gets passed around Facebook of, I'm not saying that uh, David Bowie was actually Ziggy Stardust and was really an interstellar god that was holding the fabric of reality together, but, you know, gestures broadly at everything, because things have kind of <laughs> gone to shit since then, but right? Bowie was another one. I mean, that guy, you know, you almost can't talk about Queen without talking about Bowie, not just because of Under Pressure, which is their famous collaboration, but also because they kind of came up in the same channels in the UK in the 70s. And they sort of followed the same path of having like glam rock influences and then also having like really, really amazing power pop and rock and, and, and beautiful soaring melodic work. So, uh, you know, Bowie was another one that um, he just really, it was just such a loss. I mean, you can't really say that it was, you know, he was cut down in his prime necessarily like Freddie Mercury was or like, you know, so like Easy e was. Uh, he, he had a, gr a good long career and an incredible backlog of music. Any Obviously, anybody that, that, that dies who's at the stature of David Bowie, it's too soon. Um, but he still, you, you really you have to shake your head and you can't really necessarily say that it was, was too soon. He had a good long run, but nonetheless, I mean, he was another one that, that definitely sucked the wind out of my sails for a little while. Yeah, and a lot of people that I know, again, because we float in, the, in these musician-filled uh, communities... And so anytime we lose someone as talented as uh, David Bowie or, or Just a titan or like that. Prince or anyone like that, I mean, it definitely, you can feel the ripples For uh, sure. just, again, from the loss of this the talent alone. I mean, and that's not to say that he wasn't, you know, a father, a friend, a brother, you know, whatever right. it was he was. And certainly those people feel the loss just all the more keenly, but uh, definitely... Uh, yeah, it's one of those ones that you just sit with and and yep. you have to reflect. So I get that. I definitely get that. And and on the the whole Bowie thing, I was uh, putting together a new Spotify playlist this weekend for uh, uh, cover music because I like we talked about before. I really enjoy yeah. a, a well done cover, and I found this cover of uh, uh, Space Oddity uh, done by. Power Man 5000. And I don't know if you've ever heard that one, but... I have it, uh, which is kind of strange, because uh, my old band, Random Max in Milwaukee, also did a cover of Space Oddity, um, which it was just one of the more fun songs to play. But that's obviously a song that really lends itself well to interpretation. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, Power Man 5000, obviously a, a, a great group, and, and I'm sure their take on it was pretty stellar. No pun intended. <laughs> Interstellar. But yeah, so I mean, 
Uh, I was listening to this this new track, uh, or not not new. It was coming out in 2011. I was listening to this track by uh, Power Man, and I was just really blown away. Again, like I said, with cover music, I like to have that reverence yeah. towards the original, and it, and it was definitely made me think a lot of uh, David Bowie and the work that he does. So, um, now for me, uh, one of the ones I wanted to talk about, and of course, anyone who knows me knows this is absolute fact. Uh, we lost Robin Williams mm. in August of 2014 to suicide. Yeah, we did. And that one hit me particularly hard. I'd always been a real super big uh, Robin Williams fan. Uh, I even liked Popeye, if that tells you how much I love Robin Williams. <laughs> from way back in the Mork and Mindy days, I mean, the guy was a, a comic god. I mean... No and, question. And you listen to his old material, you could tell he's like coked out of his gills, but whatever. That's just kind of how he fueled his improvisational fire, and, and I'm not here to pass judgment on that one way or another, you know. You do what you do, but uh, he just, he was such a a powerhouse in the comedy field. He was such a, a well-renowned uh, comic figure and I mean, he was a nice guy as uh, to boot. Yep. He was uh, an excellent parent, as far as I know. His children both seemed fairly well adjusted. You know, um, he just—it it hit me. It hit me hard because he was in a lot of the media that I really enjoyed. Uh, like I said, from from Hook to uh, Aladdin to—I mean, you can name a hundred things that he's been in, and I've probably seen him. He's yeah, and that guy more than anybody is 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 the the classic example of um, the Pagliacci stereotype of you know the clown that cries on the inside. Nobody knew about the mental health struggles that guy was going through and and how his his humor that he shared with the world shield, on such a grand mask. scale. Yeah, it was a way of dealing with that, and it just goes to show you that no matter how outwardly wonderful your life seems with family and job, and your job is to make people smile and laugh. Nobody ever knows what's going on on the inside, and and it could be, it could be really horrible. It could be really tragic, and and he's just the absolute ultimate example of that. Absolutely, and and like I said, his his just looking through his list. I mean, he did uh, his first feature role was in Popeye, um, and then I mean he did fucking everything. That and obviously, Mark and Mindy before that. Page. Yeah. He's got a longer IMDb page than most people ever would have thought of, but, you know, the work that he did with, like, Goodwill Hunting and the work that he did with, with Hook and... Yeah, and the versatility of that guy. And, he was one of the most gifted comedians who ever lived, but he also could turn around and do something incredibly heartfelt and, and, and really direct, like Goodwill Hunting. He was phenomenal in that movie, and I want to say he won an Oscar for that. Pretty sure. And then, also, like, he could take a creepy turn if you ever watched, like, one hour photo. I loved one hour cut. photo. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were they were fantastic. Or death to Smoochie. Yeah, uh, he was fantastic. fantastic in that with Edward Norton. Yeah, amazing. I mean, and just the body of work alone will be enough to call his death tragic. But the fact of the matter is, is he was he was huge into supporting good causes with his work with uh, Comic Relief and, and loved Comic Relief as a kid. I used to watch that all the time just, with he and Billy Crystal and Whoopi Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and he just. There was something about him. I mean, there was no other comedian that's able to just... Like, if you listen to his comedy, it's less scripted comedy. It's less like a idea from start to finish than it was just almost 
incoherent ranting and off the top of his head just kind of noodling and it's just it was it was like watching jazz it was like watching comedy jazz yeah that's a great way to put it i mean there's no there's nobody like that no and there never has been before or since but the other uh it's a truly weird thing to see that yeah, I mean, it really is like comedy jazz. I mean, that guy, anything could set him off. Any, any, it was, it was not, it was improvisation. But that guy had such a deep well of references to draw from, and such a deep well of pop culture knowledge, that anything that you said, he could just grab that ball and absolutely do a touchdown run out of nowhere, of just not even jokes, just riffing, just just absolute. Because you know, you think of a joke as like a setup and a punchline, but that guy was just funny sitting still. And he could just grab any like reference. If he could sit still. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, my goodness. You know, he was just bouncing all over the place all the time. And he could just take anything and make comedy gold out of it. And and that's something that's so extremely rare that you can just look at. He, 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 there's nobody been nobody like him before or since. Exactly. I agree. And the uh, other poster child to me for no matter how good your life seems from the outside, things might be bad enough on the inside that, that it might just be too much for you to take. I had great admiration for Anthony Bourdain. And I always said that if I could die and come back as anybody, it'd be that guy. Because he just had a swagger that you can only get if it's earned. Uh, He was just a a beautiful man. He was incredibly talented. He was an incredible chef. He had amazing stage presence. He could do TV. He also just kind of made a career out of not giving a fuck. Anytime you saw him on anything, he did everything on his own terms. And I thought to myself... If I could come back and be that guy, look, he's in fantastic shape. He's a good-looking guy. He, his whole job is to travel the world, meet amazing people, eat incredible food. That's that's a job that you just can't you can't get that job unless you're somebody like Anthony Bourdain. If, if you're a world traveler, you're a raconteur, you're a, a chef, you're a, you know somebody who just who just loves life and everything about that guy. There was a cynicism to him, but. Regardless, I mean, it, when he had some really earnest, heartfelt moments, I remember seeing one of his shows. I don't remember if it was a Cook's Tour or No Reservations. It was one of his shows, the travelogue shows he did on CNN. And that guy used to give Emeril Lagasse no end of shit. He would kind of like ding him in absentia, and he would say, look, he's a celebrity chef, the whole performative look, bam, thing. It's just, it's not real cooking. And regardless of how good that might be in the kitchen, how good his restaurants might be, uh, he's just a little bit too over the top for me as, a, as a, a, a persona. But then, when Katrina happened, and Emerald's Restaurant was one of the first to open back up and offer free meals to first responders, to offer free meals to people who were suffering and didn't have food, who lost their homes, as soon as things opened back up again for general consumption after Katrina... Tony Bourdain went down there and he sat down at Emerald's flagship restaurant, his eponymous restaurant in New Orleans and had a meal with the guy. And he said, uh, Emerald knows. I mean, he's not stupid. He's, he's a media savvy guy. He knows that I have given him no end of grief over the years for being like an over the top celebrity chef, but he didn't bring it up. He received me warmly. He was incredibly appreciative that I was there throwing some, some spotlight on the relief efforts that were happening post Katrina in new Orleans. He never said a word about the shit that I gave him for years. All he did was, was show me hospitality and warmth and friendliness. And Oh my God, the food, any drop of criticism I ever gave that guy for being like a paper chef or a celebrity chef or not really being like a chef in the, in the classic term. I'm way worse at that stuff than he is, if I'm being honest. I'm going to ding myself. But that guy <laughs> put out a spread for me and had a, a heartfelt story and had wonderful things to say. I take back everything I ever said about that guy. I was absolutely wrong. So 
to be big enough to admit, hey, you know what? I gave that guy grief in absentia for no reason, and he never brought it up and just showed me love where I showed him, you know, uh, a little bit of scorn, and I was wrong. To be able to admit that is just an incredible thing. But my favorite... I agree. I agree. <laughs> my favorite Anthony Bourdain story, uh, I actually got a chance to meet him very briefly once. I hate I you. was living in Minnesota at the time. I hate me too. And he was, it was, he was doing a, a book tour for, I don't remember which book it was, it, you'll have to forgive me, but I bought a copy of the book at this Barnes & Noble at the Mall of America, and he was doing a book signing, and I was there early because I thought, i got to meet this guy. And he got up there and started talking about food, uh, as was his want, and he said, you know, um, food is a funny thing, and some of my favorite food in the world is from cultures that make magic out of garbage. People that don't have anything, but they make absolutely wonderful food, out of nothing. He said, the American soul food tradition that was born out of slavery when these people had to survive on garbage. That's where you get ham hocks. That's where you get collard greens. That's where you get all this amazing, incredible food that these folks had to make delicious food out of the stuff that other people threw away. And he right. said, you know, think about, like, who was the first guy to ever eat escargot? What we now know as escargot is snails. You had to be pretty goddamn hungry to look at that thing crawling away from you, leaving a trail of snot behind it, and going, I'm going to eat that. But we found a way to make it delicious, and I have to eat escargot whenever I'm in France. Look at the artichoke. It's literally a defensive weapon. It's armored. You could throw it at somebody and hit them and probably do some serious damage to their skull. The thing is, it's pointy and armored, but if you literally strip away its protection and eat its heart, it's a thing of beauty lobsters are the bugs of the sea. Um, pineapples, again, are, could be a defensive weapon. And pineapples don't want to be eaten. They actually have an enzyme called bromelain in them that if you eat them, you can feel your tongue tingling because it, it, it dissolves protein. When you eat pineapple, it's eating you back. That's why you can't put it in jello because the jello won't set. And anytime you go to any taco truck worth its salt, you'll see like a big chunk of pineapple hanging out on top of the cone of barbecue al pastor pork, and it just tenderizes the meat because it breaks down proteins. These are some of the most amazing foods in the world, but they were born of people who were absolutely desperate. And I'm just watching him riveted. So there was a Q&A section, and I raised my hand because I was all six foot five on the front row and he couldn't ignore me. And I said to him, <laughs> um, you are a world-class chef. Can you ever go out and enjoy a meal at a restaurant without completely picking apart what's on your plate? Trying to reverse engineer recipes, identify spices, look for seams, think about things you would have done differently. Can you, as a celebrity chef, actually enjoy a meal out? And he thought for a minute and said, huh. I guess the way that I would think about it, the way I contextualize it is when I'm in the kitchen, everything is all about control. Uh, I have I have to control my brigade. I got to control my portions. I got to control my food costs. It's all about keeping a tight ship going. But when I go out to eat, especially if it's at a friend's restaurant, I, it's all about kind of submission. I'm sitting down. They're bringing out food. It's, it's beautifully prepared. It's artfully arranged. It's delicious. It's pretty to look at. And in that case, it's just kind of giving myself over to the experience. So I guess if you want to get all BDSM about it, in the kitchen I'm a dom, and at the table I'm a sub. So I guess I'm a culinary switch. And you could just hear <laughs> every woman in the room suddenly standing in a puddle. <laughs> and then I went up and had my book signed and I said to him, you know, ever since Kitchen Confidential I've been a fan, and when you talk about it in that book will eating the fish eyes in Japan make you sick? Maybe. Will eating the sweet sausages from the dodgy food cart in Venice make you sick? It's possible, but the juice is always worth the squeeze, and if you just are an adventurous eater, you're not always going to come out on top, but the times you do are going to make up for the times you don't. And I said, that's why anytime I sit down at a menu, sometimes I go with comfort food, but more often than not, I look at this menu and I try to think adventurously, and I think to myself what would Tony eat? And he looks back me with this thousand watt smile and said that's all i've ever asked and he signed my book you know to an adventurous eater and i was walking on like clouds for the rest of the day that guy was that's so cool amazing that's amazing 
Yeah, I have a real uh, uh, affinity for for Tony Bourdain as well. I, I've read a bunch of his books, and and actually, uh, his books uh, had kind of reinforced in me why, after going to culinary school, I didn't uh, go on to be in part of a kitchen. Uh, yeah. Uh, anymore. It's a minefield so like out there. Prep chef and and everything like that, and he, his tales of of drugs and and uh, sexual misadventure <laughs> and debauchery just, to the walls, just debauchery to the gills. Yeah, it's just it's 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 a harrowing tale. His books are amazingly well written, and and he's he was a force. And, and I'm glad you told For me sure. the story about the Emeril Lugasi thing. I never really heard back about that, and 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 that's nice to have a button on that finally, but. And, and I kind of had the same emotional feeling of that towards uh, Guy Fieri. Now, Guy Fieri, of course, is still with us. He's one of the biggest well-paid stars on uh, Food Network. For sure. And uh, deservedly so. And and I say that uh, with no small amount of reservation because I used to uh, I used to roast that guy a lot. Well, he uh, is eminently roastable he, if you really want to break it down. He, he's definitely a persona. Sure. He's a, a Larry the Cable guy of the food world. Very but, well, I mean, it, which which gives himself some, over to some kind of scrutiny, but at the same time, uh, we've had ample opportunity to see the kind of character that the guy puts out. Like you said, with uh, with Amaral, uh, we get to see the kind of person that he is, and and the fact that he is doing us so much for charity, and he does quietly so much too. For, uh, yeah, and and he like gives uh, free meals to uh, people who are like first responders and things like that. I mean, and he does just this inordinate amount of work to try and change uh, previous misconceptions of him, previous versions of himself. He's always yeah. learning and changing. And, and at and the end of the day, and, his show, Diners, yeah. Drive-Ins, and Dives, has supported small business for years. He doesn't mm-hmm. go to any chain restaurants. He goes to places that are mom-and-pop shops run by families and says, hey, if you're ever in Teaneck, New Jersey, you got to come to this place because they got the best fucking wings on the East Coast. Yeah. And so, like I said, mea culpa, I've, I've given... <laughs> I've given an inordinate amount of crap to uh, Guy Fieri, and this seemed like a good enough opportunity to say, hey, my bad, my bad. So, uh, let's see. Let's go with uh, one more here real quick before we move on to our next break. Uh, I was thinking as far as musicians go. uh, Now, a lot of musicians that have passed have had a real effect on me, but one of the earliest ones that I can remember would be... uh, when uh, uh, Kurt Cobain died, yeah, uh, I was in high school at the time. I was very, or no, I was might have been middle school at the time. I don't even know. So I graduated high school in 1993, and Kurt died in early 1994. And I remember being in my. That's one of those kind of things like, where were you when the Challenger exploded? Where were you when the towers came down? That's one of those pivotal things in in the life of of people of a certain age, as we are. Where were you when you heard Kurt Cobain died? And I heard it from. Um, Kurt Loder on MTV News. I was in my dorm room Same. in college, my first year of college, and they broke in with that. And, uh, you know, he was, Kurt Loder, who was normally unflappable, looked shaken on TV. And I, I saw it live when it happened. And there were people doing vigils in Seattle, hanging out outside his house. But I remember hearing from Kurt Loder that Kurt Cobain had died. And it didn't seem real because he was really the first, if you want to trace it back, 
there was everything, especially in terms of like the alt-rock movement, there was everything before Nirvana and everything that came after Nirvana. They were just one of those bands that kicked the door open that everybody else ran through. Uh, Before Nirvana, there were hair bands. And I'm not going to ding hair bands. Some of those guys are fucking incredible musicians and they put on a fantastic show. Wasn't my favorite form of music, but it's it's very popular for a reason. It's very good, whether or not I happen to be a huge fan of it. I respect its place in the great rock pantheon and I know what it's there for. But, you know, when when, when Kurt passed, it, it was barely... I think Nevermind had only come out a year or two earlier. The alternative movement was just starting to really get into full swing, and he was kind of his favorite son, and really the guy that kind of, for better or for worse, is credited with having started it. Obviously, he stood on the shoulders of giants. He was a big fan of uh, of like bands like the Meat Puppets and and uh, some other uh, like Mother Love Bone and Mud Honey and a lot of really seminal alt rock bands that came out of Seattle. But Nirvana were the first ones to really crack that nut wide open and 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 bring it to everybody for public consumption. So they get credit for that. And when Kurt died, it was like, it really was like losing the founder of a movement in a lot of ways. Right. It almost signaled the end of that movement at that point. Like, like he kind of ushered it into the world and then kind of, uh, it kind of faded and dimmed when we lost him. And of course, yeah. uh, Lane Staley as well. Uh, these, these pioneers of that kind of musical uh, style. Well, if you really want to, you know, it almost seemed like they just kind of it faded out. Yeah, if you want to run down the list, you know, I mean, my parents' generation lost a lot of really great musicians very, very young. Like you talk about, like the members of the Twenty Seven Club. You talk about like Jimi Hendrix and and Janis Joplin and um, Jim Morrison and all that. But you know, really, the 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 progenitors of the alternative movement, we have lost an inordinately large number of those folks. Kurt was one of the first, but Lane wasn't far behind. And then we lost Shannon Hoon from Blind Melon. Um, you know, later on down the road, we lost uh, Chris Cornell of Soundgarden and Audio Slave. Uh, we lost Scott Weiland, very famously of uh, of Stone Temple Pilots. Um, mm-hmm. We've, you know, we really have. There's there's been a, a very large amount of of just giants, just absolute titans of 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 that genre of music that have either taken their own lives or they've been lost to drugs or it, it really was a really tumultuous time for a lot of music. And I think maybe that's kind of almost inevitable in a way, not that these folks, you know, needed to die or were fated to die. But if you look at the music that kind of was, it replaced in the pop culture. If you look at hair bands, it was all about girls and partying and having a good time. Um, you know, like uh, if you look at like Warrant, or if you look at Poison, or if you look at like any of those those really huge like bands, yeah, yeah for sure. it was all about partying and getting you know fucked up and getting laid and having a good time. And then the alt rock movement came along, and everything got real emotional and really personal and really intense and very sort of serious in a way. Um, mm-hmm. Not that there weren't like lighthearted bands, but but alt rock was very emotional. It made, and it, was it, very, made it okay to talk about your feelings. Yeah, this is a whole generation of people that were raised by the, you know, the baby boomers and the baby boomers were raised by the greatest generation. And we're talking about a couple of very stoic generations who just kind of like, you know, get back in there. Soldier boys don't cry, suck it up, rub a little dirt on it. But then we had this whole generation of people that were actually really in touch with their emotions and they weren't shy about sharing them. And they put all of that into their music. And so the sort of like, you know, girls and drinking and, and, and partying Hairband rock got replaced by this incredibly moody, very confessional, incredibly intense and intimate, emotional kind of music. So I suppose in a way, 
you know, losing a lot of those guys to the drugs they used to cope with the problems they had and maybe taking their own life in the case of a couple of those guys like Chris Cornell and Kurt Cobain um, because they couldn't necessarily deal with, with the pain that they were having to experience. Um, it's almost part and parcel with how intensely emotional the music was. And it, it's really sad when you really look back on it. Absolutely. Uh, let's take one more quick break, and then when we come back, we will uh, kind of wrap up with a few more of these celebrity deaths that kind of affected and impacted our lives and, and why. Stick around. Welcome back to the Feel Your Fandom Satathon. Apparently, we're just going to talk about people that uh, that affected us and made us sad. And and we had mentioned last break where we talked about uh, uh, pioneers of the grunge movement that we had lost. And of course, we touched on very briefly uh, Chris Cornell. But I kind of wanted to get onto him a little bit more. Uh, I distinctly remember where I was when I was listening to the news that he had passed. I was driving to work at Amazon and and you know, I don't, you don't get to really know your coworkers very well while you're working in a big place like that. Um, but the mood in the entire warehouse was kind of subdued that entire day. And, and to the point where even on the docks where I worked in the loading docks on the inbound docks there and they had put on the overhead, they'd started playing uh, Soundgarden and Chris Cornell and Audio yeah. Slave and just kind of tributing the man as we were all working. And it was really really somber and then i actually remember hearing it in the car that he had died and and i kind of uh i teared up and not kind of yeah. i absolutely teared up and it's like it's his voice was so singular and so epic and so uh, such a strong reminder of the ability like we said it's okay to speak about your emotions it's okay to talk about your demons it's okay to uh be open with those kind of emotions it's it, i mean hiding them doesn't do any good and, and like you said with robin williams it's the ones that we don't suspect are the ones that you kind of and you know on the outside maybe are the ones that have yeah uh, a bigger battle in front of them and and you could say the same thing with uh one of his good friends who we lost uh shortly thereafter we lost chris cornell in may of 2017 but we also lost uh chester bennington uh, two months later in July. Those two and, were very close, and, and I'm sure that Chester, having lost Chris, was uh, probably a big part of the reason why he was having such a hard time dealing with life at that period. I mean, maybe. It, it very well could have been, and, and there's often been You can't really speculate, but... There, there has been speculation, that whether it's right or wrong, that their deaths were uh, not interconnected. That's the wrong way to put it, but definitely uh, Chris's passing had a deep impact on on Chester, who had suffered his own uh, mental health demons as well, and his problems with drugs and alcohol as well, um, and and again, it's it's very emblematic of the fact that we have these battles that we fight that maybe not everyone knows about, but it's right. okay to talk about it if we're comfortable talking about it, 
and and what I do, what I'm really grateful for within the passing of Chester and and Chris in general was this real uh, open attitude towards talking about uh, your mental health. Yeah, there was a real focus on the radio up here. KISW friend of the show, BJ Shea, uh, got on the air and, and hosted these specials about uh, suicide prevention and 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 mental health awareness, and it was really. It opened the topic up and made it okay to talk about it, a bit more acceptable to talk about it. And as someone who suffers through depression and anxiety as well, mm-hmm. it was really gratifying to see that maybe it's okay to talk about these things without being judged, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, you if gotta, there's anything like said, that will dispel the stigma. positives out of it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the, 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 the threat of, of somebody literally being falling victim to their mental illness you know whether it's by their own hand or they just they can't take it anymore and just anything to stop the pain uh it's it's always as much as i i also have have dealt with depression and kind of know how bleak that can be and how much it just feels like there's no hope and there's no no bright spot at the end of the tunnel um it it really is one of those things you can get help for and i'm not going to ding anybody who who has a hard enough time that they just can't take the pain anymore. That's certainly not what I'm here to do. But I mean, it really is one of those things that if there's, there's always help, there's always somebody you can talk to. There's always a way to, to, to work on that so that you're not, not depriving the world of, of the light that you are uh, and that you're Mm not um, deciding to sort of check out when things might be better on the next horizon. It's, it's, there's, there's always help available. Absolutely. And just off the topic, if you ever feel like there's uh, no way out and you feel depressed and you want to talk to someone, please, uh, by all means, contact the Suicide Helpline. There's always people out there available and yes. ready and willing to listen. And again, like Jim said, don't deprive everyone of that light that you bring to the world, whether you see it or not. Yeah. Um, whew, that was a heavy one. So. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, now, you, who do you have next on your list? Well, I know we're kind of coming to the home stretch here, so I kind of wanted to focus on um, another um, musical genius that we lost this year, and that's DMX. Um, that that came as a real shock to a lot of folks, um, you know. And again, I, we don't want to get into like the causes or, or why these things happen, but right. um, you know, he also is another one, another you know great star of, of, of hip hop and rap that that uh, was was taken out of the the picture too soon. Um, had a whole lot of road to run yet in front of him, and. And uh, just one of the uh, one of the more distinctive and one of the more um, just one of the better voices in, the, in that particular genre of music, and, and that's one that uh, definitely hit a lot of people pretty hard. Absolutely, one of my favorite things is back when I was doing overnights, uh, working, uh, uh, I was doing retail merchandising and resets. Uh, one of my coworkers, uh, Angie, came up to me and, and she's like, "Have you heard? Have you heard DMX doing Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer?" And I'm like. I'm sorry, what did you just say? Those I have a feeling I'm about to. <laughs> Those words don't go together. So I wow. printed the lyrics of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And would you, I know the lyrics. Would you do us the honors of spitting Rudolph say, the Red-Nosed say, Reindeer? Um, you know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen But do you recall the most famous reindeer of all? Come on! Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Had a very shiny nose Ugh. And if you ever saw him, you 
would even say it close. Come on, come on. All of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. They never let poor Rudolph join in any reindeer games. Then one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, Come on, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you ride my sleigh tonight? Then all the reindeers loved him, and they shouted out with glee. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer, you go down to history forever. You go down to history forever. You go down to history. What? <laughs> that is going to be Rudolph, Rudolph. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Did I get the names right for the reindeers? And it's fucking amazing. It's just, yeah. It, it's so DMX, it's ridiculous. And, I mean, however problematic he was, he did have his issues, to, Lord knows. Um, but at the end of the day, again, another real uh, strong voice silenced, and it was it was a, it was a hit. We didn't we didn't exactly see it coming. I mean, he had suffered for a lot of years with drug abuse and 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 things like that. But a lot of people had thought that he had been over the hump, you know. And it's not necessarily something that can go away like that. And so it's a stark and tragic reminder that. Um, Again, these problems can persist, whether you see them or not. Yeah. And a couple more punches to the gut that we definitely want to touch on before we get too uh, too far uh, in, into having to wrap up here. But, um, you know, in the last couple of years, we, we, we lost a couple of just absolutely staggeringly titanic geek icons. Um, absolutely. In the form of uh, Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia, and also mm-hmm. Chadwick Boseman, uh, T'Challa, the Black Panther. Absolutely, and and I definitely wanted to address both of those. Now, uh, Carrie Fisher, uh, again, another celebrity whose death I just sat with and cried because she's always been and always will be this strong feminist icon to me. Yeah. And this strong ideal of what uh, women can do and that women can do anything they want to do. And, you know, for good or for bad, she had her issues again. Uh, drug and substance abuse is key among them. Uh, but she was able to, to get to a point where she could joke about it. She was able to get to a place where she was comfortable talking about it. And Writing whole books of, like Postcards from the Edge, which is a landmark mental health uh, anthology that, that really was one of, the, one of the absolute first times that any celebrity was able to drop the mask and, and push past the stigma and say, hey, yeah, you know what? What you see on the screen is, is, is a big part of who I am. But when I'm off the screen, a big part of who I am human. is that I also struggle with mental yeah. illness. Yeah. And alcoholism Absolutely. and substance abuse. Absolutely. And didn't she, uh, didn't she, I know this is kind of uh, apocryphal, but didn't she uh, uh, have her ashes put in an urn shaped like a Prozac pill? I think she said something about wanting to do that. <laughs> that I'm not really sure. I think I read that same interview or heard her say that where that was a piece of her uh, her sort of final uh, wishes. I'm not sure if they did it or not. I kind of hope they did because, I mean. Me too. You kind of want that because she was just sass start to finish. And yeah. you could always you could always count on Carrie to bring the straight poop when when uh, in an interview or anything like that. And she was definitely not shy about talking about uh, like when they recast her in the Star Wars sequels. Uh, she's talking about how Lucas uh, Lucasfilms came to her and wanted her to like lose all this weight so she could be Princess Leia again. And she was definitely outspoken as to why the fuck she shouldn't have to do that. What am I going to wear the metal uh, bikini in my seventies? Go to fucking hell. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and it's it's just. Uh, you, you and yeah, that was the other thing. So strongly 
uh, I don't even know how to say it. Just she's just got this presence, this this gravitas towards her, but this, this regality, as well. which stands to reason because she is and was Princess Leia. But in addition to like being very outspoken about mental illness and, and substance abuse and things like that. It wasn't just that she talked openly about it. The other part of it was she said, hey, I'm going to talk openly about this. And if you want to judge me for it, you can pretty much go fuck yourself. Because mm-hmm. this is just a thing that, that I deal with. And it's not your job to approve of it or not approve of it. It's not your job to judge me. Uh, I have my on-screen life and I have my private life. And near the twain shall meet. And if you want to look down on me because I have mental illness, then you can pretty much eat me. Because I'm not having that. I don't have time for it. I got too much shit going on. Absolutely. And then, of course, you also mentioned Chadwick Boseman, who died mm. last year. God Last year in August, yeah. Such a bright star cut so short so quickly. A shining example of, us, of black excellence. Nobody saw it coming. No. Because he hid it from us. The man starred in a Marvel superhero movie, Black Panther, at the height of his cancer. Mm-hmm. And if anyone knows anything about these Marvel castings and these hero roles, there's an awful lot of regimented training and and diligent body work and 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 they're very physically difficult. If you go back and watch Black Panther, there's the scene where Chadwick Boseman is uh, is is having the, the the fight to see who gets the the crown. And he's fighting Winston Duke Mbaku in that movie. And they're both just at the peak of their physical prowess. They're stripped to the waist. They're they're doing the the African warrior thing. They both Mm -hmm. look fantastic. They're in absolute peak physical condition. And it's hard enough trying to build your body and to to pack on muscle and be a Marvel superhero without your body trying to eat itself from the inside. And and Chadwick Boseman, of course, very famously and very tragically, died of colon cancer, which nobody ever wants cancer. The can't, you know, it's it's never. There are certainly some cancers that are more treatable and more survivable than others. Uh, You know, and and colon cancer is very high on the list of the ones that that you definitely do not want. Not that you want any cancer, God knows. But it's certainly, there are others that are, are, like they say that, um, you know, breast cancer, the the survivability rates of that with with current treatments and current medications are between 85 and 90%. There's there's a very high survivability rate on that. It's obviously tragic and you don't want it. And it's, it's a kick to the gut if you wind up getting that diagnosis. But... There's hope available. Uh, pancreatic cancer is one of the ones that will take you within a matter of months. Or there's something like prostate cancer, where the conventional wisdom of, with that is prostate cancer is something you die with, not of. It's incredibly mm-hmm. treatable. It's incredibly slow-moving. But colon cancer, I mean, that's your entire digestive system. That's such a horrible thing. And for that guy to not only put on a brave face and an incredible physical specimen, but to put on a performance like he did... In, in the Marvel films, his own film and in the other films in which the character of T'Challa appeared. Meanwhile, he's, he's battling this horrible disease. Um, I can't, I can't even we're fathom ta- what that must have been yeah. like. Yeah, and we're talking about a character. Now, uh, if he had just been in a Marvel movie and, and done whatever, you know, it would have been a loss, of course. We're all geeks. We're all nerds here. It's something that we would have all felt. But the fact of the yeah. matter is, Chadwick blazed a path on screen as T'Challa. He was one of the first major black superheroes in this new era of uh, modern uh, superhero epics. Like we're the not, importance we're not of that selling, representation. Right. We're not selling Blade short. We're not selling you know Steel or any of these other black superheroes. Or Luke Cage short. or anybody. Right. But this was one of the pivotal moments for black superheroic representation. 
He was and not just a superhero, but he was royalty. And Wakanda yeah. represented the, the represented was was a, a emblematic of black excellence, of Afrofuturism, of saying, you know what? Maybe you there there are people out there that are racist. There are people out there that are horrible. Uh, but you cannot take anything away from this country of brilliant geniuses who have this incredible, they're sitting on huge deposits of this amazing substance and vibranium, and they have made incredible use of it. It's an energy source, it's a construction material. And if you look at just what the, the folks in Wakanda, fictional or otherwise, were able to do with it, this create this, this utopia of this, this cradle of, of power and black excellence. That is so important to have in the popular culture. If you, if you look at most representations of black characters on film, uh, they've not been always complimentary. They, they've, they've in many ways been incredibly problematic. But then you just have this entire country, this this figure of royalty, this power figure who is good and kind and benevolent and powerful and intelligent and everything that black excellence represents. And then he's just taken away. It, it just it's so cruel. He was smarter than Reed Richards or as smart as Reed Richards. He was richer than Iron Man, Tony Stark. Uh, he was strongest Thor, a strongest Thor, a monarch of his own country. And as you said, this just this pivotal figure of black excellence and black representation, and to have him removed from our lives just to see the groundswell of support that happened after he passed was was touching and thought-provoking and a definite uh, nod towards why this representation is so important and why we need to continue pushing forward to have this equal representation in media because it doesn't have to be the rich craggy white guy that saves the day you know what right. I mean it doesn't have to be your Tony Starks or your Bruce Wayne's or your you know even Superman who's an alien but whatever he's as white as Still white, a man, white guy so, yeah but, uh, I mean, like you said, just this figure of excellence. And, and Chadwick's death was so sudden to everyone, except apparently to him and his family. They knew, but uh, they kept that so well hidden, so under wraps, that it just shook the world. Yeah, and let's not forget, uh, for a, a period of time, I want to say that in the entire MCU, Black Panther is, is one of the top two, if not one of the top three. It's, it's one of the biggest moneymakers in the franchise. It was a movie that raked in so much money that it just really goes to show you... I mean, you can't really predict movie trends. You can't say, um, you know, oh, people like superheroes. Let's just make a superhero movie and they'll flock to it. You have to make a good superhero movie. But the black community... It's it, it tragically just so starved for positive role models on film because there are so many people that that just tell white stories or they just tell or they want to tell tragic black stories like Moonlight or like any of the, the you know it, I've seen so many black actors and creators on Twitter saying hey you know what we can be so much more than you than you let us be we can be so much more than the pigeonholes you put us in and the labels you put on us and if you want to look at Black Panther. That movie made so much money because it was such an incredibly upbeat, positive, powerful representation of black excellence. And then the community is just not I'm not going to ever speak on behalf of the black community. Jesus Christ, I would never do that. But I talked to a lot of my black friends and and the just the, the overall um, sentiment within the black community of, you know, we have this incredible character we can latch on to this amazing actor that brought him to life. And, and, you know, we're going to go back four and five times. We're going to support this with our, our dollars because we need to see more of this. 
and then it just you know it's he's he's gone and it's just a horrible thing to contemplate right it's really hard to talk about these honestly i mean yeah what a loss and i know it, i knew it would be uh i knew this would be a hard conversation just because of how much these people mean and and definitely i think we're going to have to take and do a, another round of these because i mean this this could go forever i mean lord knows we've got a vast array that we can go through from fred rogers to bob barker to uh, bob ross uh, to steve Irwin. right exactly but kind of what i want to end it with today is is let's talk about a little bit about heath ledger Mm. Because if you want to you talk, want to talk about, about being cut yeah. down in your prime and, and, and having a massive amounts of potential taken away from you, that guy is, is on the same level that Chadwick Boseman was in terms of, of the amount of road he had left to run, the amount of work he never got to do. I mean, he was really always a great actor. If you look at 10 Things I Hate About You, which was really based in Shakespeare. Uh, if nice you look tale. at Yeah, absolutely. If, if you look at um, you know all the movies that he did prior to to, uh, you know, the one that he's kind of defined by, both because it won him the Oscar and because it was his last role on film as the Joker in The Dark Knight, um, that would have opened so many more doors for him. He was always so much better. I mean, Brokeback Mountain, he was always so much better than he got credit for. And then this was probably going to be the role, much like, again, I don't want to go off on another tangent, but like Brandon Lee with The Crow, that would have broken him wide open and really gotten him so much more in in terms of, of what he was offered what he was capable of doing and for that guy to have uh have been cut down when he was and have won a posthumous oscar for that that was not given to him out of pity that was not given because oh he's gone and therefore he deserves this that was a triumphant role and the, the amount of energy and the amount of personality and the amount of incredible performance that he brought to that role uh, if you have to go out on any kind of note at all, if you, if you don't have a choice but when you go, that's the, the kind of note you want to go out on. Always leave them wanting more, I guess. Right, yeah, I suppose. And again, just another tragic tale of of of, of pain that was hidden and and, yeah. and, and the drugs that, that they used to cover it. I mean, I'm not here to be an apologist for drug abuse. Of course, drug abuse is terrible, and, and whenever it hits, it breaks up families and, and whatever it does, but... Uh, Definitely, there were underlying factors that uh, led to it, and, and it's really, it's difficult because, as you said, this lost potential, and, yep. and he went out definitely like Chadwick Boseman. He went out on top of his game, absolutely, and and it was it was difficult to see because again, I want to know what could have happened. I mean, what, what if we'd have had another Joker? What if another Joker appearance? What if we would have had another Black Panther? You know, uh, these what ifs that we just don't get to see. You know, not in this timeline anyways. Well, what celebrity deaths have, have kind of had an impact on you? We definitely want to hear your take. Like I said, this is definitely something we're going to touch on again. It's something that needs to be addressed because when there's positivity in fandom and positivity in the world, we definitely want to focus on that as well instead of the of the tragic circumstances of their passing or the, the negativity that surrounds the world today. We definitely want to focus on positivity. And at the end of the day... Even if we're talking about these celebrities' deaths who have uh, left a crater in our lives, there's definitely a positive aspect and there's definitely uh, uh, things that we can discuss about them and their body of work that have left that lasting impact on us. Because at the end of the day, we're we're really talking about their legacy more than anything else. Absolutely. And we want to know what celebrities uh, that you uh, 
uh, are into that their passing has left a mark. Uh, whether it's one of the ones we talked about or whether it's not, uh, let us know. Uh, give us some feedback. Let us know who you were uh, uh, impacted by. You can hit us up on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash fuelyourfandom. You can send it to us in an email at fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. Or you can send it to us at our backup email at fyftalentbooking at gmail.com, which is also where you send show ideas, guest suggestions, and buy recipes. And, of course, the latest and greatest episode is always going to be up first at fuelyourfandom.buzzsprout.com and shortly thereafter at any of the places you find fine podcasts like Stitcher, Player FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any place you you tend to uh, pick up your materials. Right, but from us to you, like I said, this was kind of a heavy topic, but with something that I feel needs touching upon. And we're definitely, like I said, going to hit on it again. So uh, send us your ideas. Send us your, uh, your, your information. We want to know who you were affected by. And from all of us here, we want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. And please try to remember that everything is fandom, and fandom is everything. Take care. Oh, 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 oh,